Hello everyone, you're listening to Somigazi Tom. I am a agile content creator. My voice is what you'll be hearing over the next foreseeable future, among other voices of course, for our new podcast series called The Paradigm Shift. Currently, we are only doing Skype interviews as a result of the pandemic, but we really hope that you enjoy this podcast series. Thank you. Today we'll be talking to Eddie von Himmelreich, who is the CEO of Morrow, co-founder of Imagine Life and rethinking economics lecturer at Carl de Korte University. Welcome, Eddie. Could you just tell us a bit about yourself, your educational background and your work background? Okay, so my name is Eddie van Hemelrijk. Um I'm 54 years old. I was uh, I was born and raised in Antwerp, Belgium. I followed uh, as education applied economics at the University of Antwerp. I got an executive MBA afterwards, um, six or seven years after uh, having graduated as a master uh, when I was working for Johnson & Johnson, uh, an American international company. Uh, the MBA was a, a double program, the Northwestern University in Chicago and then the Flanders Business University in Antwerp. And regarding academic background, I wrote a PhD between 2000, uh, let's think 2003 and 2007 in the Netherlands, which I did not defend. So I didn't obtain the degree of a PhD, but I wrote the PhD. It was about intercultural communication of sustainability programs in multinationals. And I compared a sustainability program of a Dutch multinational, comparing it with what happened in China and in Argentina. So the impact of the intercultural dimension on it. So that's the academic background. On the professional one, I've been in business till 2002. So almost 20 years in business, working for American multinational Johnson & Johnson, as I said. First barter trade, um, mainly in China uh, and the ex-Soviet Union. So exchanging Janssen or Johnson Johnson drugs for other products. So the most basic form of business. Then I worked for the mother company in corporate purchasing in Europe, trying to have people from different countries working together and bringing together purchasing power uh, for travel, for car fleet, for uh, chemicals, for products, for shampoo, etc. Um, I'll be brief. Then I quit because I like traveling. I did a world trip with my wife for an extended honeymoon of six months, came back, had to look for a new job, worked for a Belgian paper company, selling mainly to Asia and the ex-Soviet Union and German-speaking countries, traveling a lot. And my last real job was working for Kipling, which is a fashion company in backpacks with a monkey. And I was there almost five years. I ended as the vice president of international sales, so in charge of global sales of the fashion company. In 2002, I quit and I switched into sustainability because I wanted to add more value to the things I was doing, add more value to society. And I started combining it with teaching and I started to teach first in marketing and environmental economics and then in sustainability. And till today, I'm still 50% or a bit more working for a university in Antwerp teaching sustainable business. And I run our own company. Uh, providing workshops, facilitating meetings, mainly on leadership and sustainability. I'm interested to find out why you didn't defend your PhD. Well, actually, um, when I was writing my PhD, I was um, a CEO of a small company of about 25 people, engineers, doing um, 
consulting work on energy. I was giving workshops in companies. I was teaching in the university and writing my PhD. So at the same time, and um, we also decided, my wife and I, we wanted to have another sabbatical. So we planned a sabbatical in 2006 to travel with our kids for 13 months around the globe. The idea was to return after two and a half months being in Africa in September to defend my PhD and then to continue the trip. So I handed in my PhD end of June 2006. And then I got uh, as an answer that it was for 90% okay, but I still had to make some changes. But we already planned the start of our trip. So and we were uh, leaving, what was it, beginning of July 2006 to South Africa. And then we went to Namibia, Zimbabwe, Botswana. So I said, I have no time uh, to work on it, on my PhD. So I will do it afterwards. So when we came back a year later, the promoter I had became minister in the Netherlands, minister of education, uh, of environment, sorry, minister of environment. And she could not promote my PhD anymore because being a politician, she was not allowed to do that. So uh, I had to finish my PhD with two other people. Uh, that took over and they asked me if then I would, they wanted to revise everything. And I said, well, there's no point. Uh, and I did the PhD just to acquire knowledge on sustainability and intercultural items. I didn't do it to get a PhD. So I wrote it um, and I used it afterwards because I started teaching intercultural communication, sustainability. So I don't mind. I'm not such a, I mean, titles are sometimes useful, but not always. And for me, it was more about the learning, the process, and and I did learn a lot out of it. I used it for for coaching and and companies and for teaching youngsters. So and where I'm teaching now, it's a business university. You do not need to have a PhD uh, because, of course, my my experience equalize is equal or is is enough to do it. So so I don't regret it. It's a bit sad, but oh. Who cares? So that's the answer why I didn't defend it. And I now I'm wor working on a book instead of a PhD now because I think it may have more impact than a, than a PhD. I think I agree with you. It's interesting. You answered my question. I, I was going to ask you, what value add do you think a PhD has? And like, why would someone want to pursue one? At the moment, there is a kind of competition between universities on, on publications um, so, and also PhDs are being, I think, overused. So they're very, quite often very much in detail, link, missing a link with applications. Not all of them, of course, but quite a few of them. Uh, though I still believe it's useful to go for it. If you want to go for an academic uh, career, it might be useful, but it might be overvalued too. I think our education is changing. I think we will need perhaps less official degrees of universities and much more other competences but that's another okay topic. so you, yes you're making it easy for me so let's segue into the next question which is what do you understand the role and the purpose of education to be in the 21st century so both from a student perspective and from a professor's perspective because you've experienced both sides yeah i think first of all there is a um there's going to be a disruption also in the educational system, like it is in politics and economics. I think um, I th the, the format of education is changing. Um, and I think it's good because I think we still use a very Tayloristic approach. Uh, education was created 
uh, Charlemagne, uh, okay, the, the, the name of our university is Karel de Grote. It's the one who started uh, in, what was it, 1500 to have our people read and go to schools. But the system today is, is very much automated and it's really focused on getting a job. Um, and I think education should become much more lifelong learning and you can learn in many different ways. Uh, one of them going to university, but there are also other ways to achieve knowledge or to be or to develop or to grow. So what I see that is that more and more of the I don't I wouldn't call it brighter students, but more and more students are, are choosing from different universities to follow courses. There are a lot of online courses, very good courses for free from the uh, Harvard University, MIT, uh, uh, name it. So there are a lot of interesting programs, even well, also companies are setting up their own universities. So I, I think the choice is becoming much wider. And if you look at the differences between the Scandinavian educational model, uh, our model in Belgium, and perhaps the one in Hungary, I don't know. So I'm, I'm very curious how it's going to evolve. Um, if I look at my daughter, who is studying at the university, and also other people that I know, they are quite often not happy of the quality of education because a lot of the teaching, the professors, for example, they're being paid because they publish a lot. They're, and then, then teaching is actually becoming a side job for them because the publications are becoming more important in universities, which is sad because actually yeah. people, youngsters should be eager to go to classes. It should be attractive. It should be stimulating. It should be motivating. And that's not always the case. That's a bit, bit of criticism. And then also the, the grading. The grading is another issue. If you look at, um, if students ask you, uh, if the most important question is how can I pass for this course, it's sad because it's not about passing for this course. It should be about acquiring knowledge they're eager to know and that they can apply and use in life. So I think the current traditional system of education is under pressure. And actually, the corona crisis today is allowing, for example, di uh, distance learning. I, I think it will help to move towards more useful education. Um, although, of course, you still need the physical contact. And it's going to move to, to self-learning, uh, self-empowering of students. And, I mean, we have course, I and mean, we have a degree where... You need to follow certain courses, and if you do so and you pass them, you'll get your, your degree. But, for example, you're good in 95 of them, 95% of them, but one or two you're really not good in. Then you cannot graduate because it's the whole package that you need to have. How silly is that? Now it's easy for companies because they know if you have the degree, you're supposed to have no, learned all that. But, for example, if you're bad in one language and it's part of that department's educational system and you fail for that language, you cannot get your degree. I'm not, I find it a bit stupid. So I don't know if that answers your question and I've been going in different directions, but I think education should be uh, really education. It should be building, building a person into a good person, uh, adding, also talking about values, like uh, being respectful towards people. Um, that should be also included. Not only the technical stuff, you need the technical stuff, you need the knowledge transfer, but it's, we should form human beings that add value to society and i doubt that all programs do that yeah i yeah you're speaking to my whole frame of thought in regard to education and you're actually just making this easy for me as well because my next question was like in light of what we're experiencing right now how do you think 
COVID-19 is going to shift education or shift the paradigm of education and how you, we understand it. That's what's happening at our university. I mean, we have like the last five years, a lot of our educational support people trying to convince us to move towards different forms of education, like online and combinations with movies and quizzes, etc. And there was a lot of resistance. A lot of my colleagues, including myself, were saying, okay, but we are used to... to to be in a big aula and to teach to a large audience. <clears throat> so so it, it, not all of us use the modern techniques. And now we're forced to. There is no other way. So you have all these professors like, oh my God, how is this working? And and do they see me? Do they hear me? It's quite funny. I listened to into some of the lectures my daughter is following in uh, in her room here next to me. And then so one of the first lessons she was following of a professor, he was really not used to the system. So it was pretty awkward to listen to it from the other point of view. So back to your question, I think, yes, um, it will speed up the use of technology in, in transfer of knowledge, for sure. Uh, people discover that you can make short uh, YouTube movies, upload it, you can include quizzes in it, you can have small breakout rooms in, in, in Zoom or other systems. Actually, students seem to like it because it saves them transportation. They are less distracted. Uh, well, at the moment still, that may change after a while if they get used to the system, um, because they're less, there are no people sitting next to them who are doing other stuff or talking or chatting, so they're on their own and they can be much more focused and concentrated. Of course, they lack the social contact as well, but um, I think Corona indeed will switch uh, the mindset and, and speed up the use of technology in education, which actually may also be used then to a larger extent because students may see, hey, this is easy. What What is being offered now in, in China for courses? What co courses can I follow online from South Africa? Or So maybe they will start searching and, and there's a lot of good material, very good material available, perhaps better than they have in their own local university. Now there we will have to think about, okay, what if they get credits or if they follow courses, actually even pass an exam, Will you have it count for a degree? Or I think we're going to move towards um, every individual, uh, no matter age, will have perhaps a personal profile somewhere where it says what kind of education he or she has followed at different universities, different online courses. And, and that's the way people are going to promote themselves or perhaps searching for a job. So it's not going to be, I have a, I have a degree of the University of Budapest, and that's the degree. Now they're going to say, I'm much more diverse than just the degree I had from the University of Budapest. I followed programs there and there and there. So I think, yeah, Corona will certainly speed up the international aspect of, of learning and, and the, the digital aspect of learning. So do you think at some point, I mean, we can't predict this fully and certainly, but do you think at some point the idea of de a degree, a whole degree will become obsolete? I think it's moving. I don't think it's going to be uh, already tomorrow because uh, it's a chain. Uh, the education is there. The degrees are there because they're being used by others to make a selection, whether it's a government institution, whether it's a company. So um, the people that are in charge of hiring from government positions or business positions are still used to the traditional system. So for them, it's easy. They ex they, they, it's easy. It's just an easy way to uh, to do that. But if I see that I have students now making apps where people can um, uh, fill in their competences and they're matching it 
with with companies searching for certain competences. So it's no longer a degree which is necessary, but I'm good in, in linguistic, I'm good in, in IT, I'm good in, in, um, in, in written communication, I'm good in... So I think maybe we will move towards a profile somewhere in an app or somewhere in the cloud where people uh, list their competences. And of course, they will also refer to, look, how, do, how can I prove that I have these competences? It will be because I follow the study somewhere, but also because I've been working for two years doing this or doing that. Um, so I think it's going to move, but it's going to move slowly because we're living in a very traditional society and comfort-based society. So as soon as technology finds a solution, like the app I was referring to, that enables companies or hiring organizations to detect quick and easy the, the people they need then maybe normally the degree should be a kind of guarantee um, of, yeah, we guarantee that this student has followed this course and has been capable of doing a good thing. But it should be more than just passing a written exam in June. Um, a lot of Absolutely. students study very hard and two weeks after they forgot 50% of what they studied. So what's the point? Yeah. And that really is always my question. Like, I'm going to cram for an exam and then like I've forgotten the next semester and then I have to recap again because the course continues on to something else the next semester, which is counterproductive, really. If you look at, I mean, some students that I have are happy when they have a 10 out of 20, but actually because they pass, but actually they only know half of what they're supposed to know. I mean, uh, I have a friend whose who's son is studying at a military academy in Brussels. They need to have at least 16 uh, in order to pass because, I mean, they're, he's trained to become a pilot. I mean, if you only know half of the instruments on board of your plane, it's not working. Huh? It's the yeah. same with an engineer. I mean, if you build a bridge, but you're not good in, I don't know, dynamics or something, then your bridge collapse. I mean, so what's the point of, of passing when you only have a 10? And I mean, what's, what is it? You know, 50%. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm thinking, so would it also help to have like the methods of educating change? Because when you're in university, professors, teachers, everyone assumes that everyone is learning at the same pace. And part that part of the problem of people get, just wanting to pass and getting 10 out of 20 versus 20 out of 20 is the method of teaching and assuming that everyone acquires and consumes the knowledge at the same pace. Well, now you touch upon up something which is really, really important. The system in Belgium is financed on quantity. The more students you have, the more you grow than your competitors, the more money you get. So that's one thing which I think is, is very doubtful. The growth model, which we see in economics, which we also see in universities. So they're competing amongst each other and those who can attract most students get most of the money. Now back to the, the issue of, of uh, pace. When I started uh, in 2002, the minimum size of a class was 25. Now, minimum size needs to be 50, so double. Imagine if you want to train soft skills or a language and you're with 50 students in one classroom and one teacher. Now, you can have lots of different models to, to apply it, but this is just about size. Now, what you're saying is we do see the difference, for example, for languages, you have people that when they come from secondary education, the language level is pretty low and from others, it's higher. So what you should be able to do in the first year is actually to differentiate. 
and to put the strong ones together and have a different program for them. And the the, the ones who need more support because the, the entrance level is lower, um, a different model. But it's not the case. They put them all together. So the people that are actually stronger and they want to move forward quicker, they don't get any additional support. So they're not happy. Those who are having a very little background, maybe the level is even too difficult for them. So they're not happy either. So what do we see in, in, in a lot of education is that the ones who want to go for 18 or 20, they're not happy because they're sitting together with those who are happy when they only have a 10. Their intention is just to pass. So you get frustration. So answering your question, I think we need more differentiation. But if you're going to differentiate, you may start working with smaller groups. And that's more expensive. So do you think, I mean, seeing as we are moving, we're being forced to move online via learning, do you think that could possibly remedy this issue? I mean, it would definitely change the business model of a university if, if we moved online. So do you think it would better serve students this way or... Do you think it would still be the same thing? To answer the question, I think offering more remote, remote courses or massive online courses like MOOCs is certainly beneficial for those students who are eager to learn more or to have a more bigger variety. The issue, I think, is going to be that probably they will have to search and go on different platforms, collaborate with different universities. So at the moment, I don't see any system yet where they can validate uh, that knowledge. So... I don't think the solution is going to be within one university, you're going, to f you're going to find everything. I think you probably have to shop and to go to different locations on this planet. Again, referring to my daughter, she studies at the Antwerp University, but she finds a lot of courses very interesting in the UK, in the US. So, okay, you have Erasmus. You can use the Erasmus, which for me is one of the yeah. most fantastic things that Europe, since its existence, is offering. Uh, young people to have the ability to go somewhere else and to study somewhere else. So you can use Erasmus to go. She went to o Oklahoma to study there. She wants to go to Lancaster now because they offer programs which are not available at the University of Antwerp, in which she's very much interested. Now, you need to find a way that if she follows that program and she passes an exam and she has a grade, that it's integrated in the degree she gets from the University of Antwerp. So you need to have like double degrees, well, I don't know if you need to, to have it, but that makes it more visible. So to answer your question, yes, it will help people uh, to differentiate more if the system is already ready for it. But that's the question about what's the value of a degree? How important is, is it to have a degree? Question mark. At the moment, it's still very important. But will it be like that in the future? If you can prove your competences in a different way? That is the question. I have been wondering about that a lot about how valuable it will be in the future. And it just seems like the future is coming sooner than what we expected. Yeah. Now, if you look at um, intercultural dimensions, there is a guy who spoke about uh, ascription cultures and achievement cultures. In ascription cultures, um, it's very important where you studied, the name of the university. You ascribe uh, respect for someone's capabilities based on the institution where he or she studied. You have other cultures, the achievement cultures, they don't, there it doesn't matter that much. What matters is how you act and behave, the things you can do. So that's an important one. So if you, but how do you prove your achievements? In some countries, it's important to say, I'm from Harvard, I'm from Oxford, I'm from Cambridge. In the Netherlands, for example, it doesn't matter that much. It's just, what can you do? Okay, I'm an engineer, I'm a doctor, 
it doesn't matter where you 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 obtain you your knowledge your knowledge from so it depends a bit on on that cultural aspect how important what's the norm in that country or the people who's going to hire importance he or she gives the institution where you get your degree or what you can actually do i'm much more in favor of an achievement culture so for me where you obtained it i think it's it's less less relevant yeah i i lean towards that as well i'm just i mean i'm trying to make so many predictions on an uncertain future and i imagine optimistically i imagine that we would move towards more of an achievement culture but no but to answer that observation that you make there is a future that wants to emerge and actually we can also steer it in a way so it depends on the size of the people that move into into a certain direction so you can you can steer it to some extent that's one thing and on the other hand let's see what happens i mean prepare yourselves for different options different scenarios don't count only on your degree of your own university but make sure you also acquire knowledge somewhere else and maybe that will be validated one day and even if it's not validated it's interesting for you as a person so if you're eager to learn for me the growth mindset is an important one the the fact that no matter the age you still want to learn new stuff and being open for that and curious these are for me very important values if i meet people no matter the age which have a fixed mindset who are not open for innovation and new stuff i think it's dangerous because they may find themselves outside of the system because they're not following the changes that are happening so try out different things keep learning We thank you so much for listening to our first ever episode of our podcast. We hope this was useful to someone somewhere. Please join us again next month on our next episode of the podcast. And thank you again. Stay safe.